Deus quando traz assim Quando ele ajuda a palavra de lembrança É que Here we go. Wait, something just happened. Hello, hello. Okay. Is it still there? Okay, cool. <coughs> Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the drought. And to know is a wonderful African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go by yourself, and if you want to go far, go with others. 
And we are blessed as a church to have many others who are very capable of preparing a, a message and delivering a great message in one week. So uh, one of the members of Pastoral Advisory Council is uh, Charlie Graves. Charlie, we're going to be sharing a message this morning. Uh, Brother Charlie. So today I, I brought a uh, cheering section with me. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my daughter, my son, my sister-in-law, my my good friends from the neighborhood are all here to kind of cheer me along. And, and I got to tell you, when John said that there was going to be uh, this period where the fellows from the advisory council or group or whatever you are um, were going to have time to preach. I saw this passage, and I thought, that's it. That's mine. I claim this one, because this one is so close to my heart, absolutely close to my heart. And um, having visitors reminds me of the last time we had visitors. Uh, back in May, you maybe remember Carl and Kathy, and they had a uh, RV, and they were at an RV park and had, had a pool, and the grandsons wanted to go to the pool. And at this pool in the pool, there were some gentlemen who, let's just say they were feeling no pain. That's how my grandmother put it. They were feeling no pain, and one of them could not utter a sentence or a phrase without saying F this or F that or do this or whatever. <laughs> it, was, it was taking my breath away, and I, I, I felt sorry for the guy because I thought, what kind of what kind of profession would he be in where he could get away with talking like that all the time because he's just out of control. And and then, you know, Lois kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, do you remember when that was you? And it was. I was that guy. I was that guy. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, things changed. A lot of things changed. And I can trace back to the moment when it did. I had, uh, it was the, the first weekend in August, so we're, we're right up on the anniversary of the time when this happened. I had been working at my grandparents' place the whole summer, getting up to hear the bong of the clock at 4.30 every morning and working until we, were, we couldn't. And it was just day after day after day after that. My grandfather was an atheist. And so we worked every day. There was no, no Sabbath rest for us. We just, just went on through. And by the end of that time, when uh, that period of the farm work was done, I went back home. I wanted, I wanted some other entertainment. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted actually, <sighs> I wanted to get in a lot of trouble. And that's just the kind of guy I was. I, I was not Christian. two-shoes, and I, I really tried to be a problem for them whenever I was in their company. That, that's just how it was. And my brother was, was well-skilled at the art of getting in trouble, and I was counting on him to be my, my guide that evening. It was Friday night, and we were going we to do it. And that morning, I woke up with 
grandmother was a nurse, and so I know there are nurses here now, but uh, there's some who uh, feel like proper nursing is someone who has no compassion for human suffering, and that was <laughs> that was that was my mother, and she she says, uh, "Oh, you've got gas," and 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 she went off to work, and uh, well, I looked and I saw I looked in the medicine cabinet and I saw laxatives, and I thought, well, okay, if I want to get get this gas out, I'll just take this laxative, and I I did that. Now, those of you who are medical people, uh, this is my public service announcement, don't do that, okay? It's, it says if you have abdominal pain, don't take this, and the reason why is if you have appendicitis, it goes from, it, it goes from zero to 60. That's what, that's what happens, and, and that's, what, that's what did with me. I was, then I was in serious trouble, and um, that, so that evening, rather than going out and having all kinds of great fun, that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was because I had complications from this, this surgery that I was in the hospital for quite a few days. And when you're in the hospital for a long time, you're just bored. I was, I was bored out of my mind. And um, I'd been away all summer, so most of my friends didn't know I was back. But this one Christian fellow named John Bauer uh, came to visit me. He was a campus life youth volunteer, and uh, he was a Christian, and in spite of that, I, I liked him. Um, there, w- there was something about him that I liked, and he gave me a book called um, Know Why You Bleed by Paul Volcker, Know Why You Bleed, and I, I couldn't help but enjoy the irony of this, okay, because he and I both knew that I was not someone who believed. It's not the kind of thing I would normally choose to do, but because uh, I felt that I was willing to believe anything, I was willing to believe anything to to um, to make the kind of hash that he said. Read chapter six; it's on the resurrection. Read that one, and I did. And you know, the funny thing about a book is I, I love having all these arguments with Christians. I had I had throwaway lines just to make them shut up and go away, and, and um, you know you can't do that anymore. You 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 toss out your throwaway line to make them make someone shut up and go. Well, the, the book is still there, and and so I just kept on reading these things, and I learned a lot of things uh, I didn't know. And one of them is that uh, you know historians today consider the four gospels really forensic documents because. They were published so soon after the events of the day. There were so many people who were still alive. Even if you don't believe that the resurrection happened, all of the details of the story surrounding the resurrection, are you, you should consider them verified as true. And uh, some of these things are, crucifixion. He was, uh, he was done by real professionals. And when they um, 
saw that he might have just died and they put the spear in his side to make sure that he was dead and water and blood came out quicker. This is, this is how they knew. Okay, they knew, they knew what to do. He, if he had been alive, he would have reacted to the, the pointed spear and blood would have spurted out. And then after that, he was put in a solid rock tomb. Solid rock tomb. And uh, those tombs had a doorway about four foot high. If you think about the size of this town, it has to, you have to get to put in front of that kind of doorway. Well, it weighs a ton. It weighs a ton. But, um, but that wasn't enough. The, the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, give us a guard. Seal that tomb. And so they put Roman tomb. It's like crime scene tape across this door, across that uh, stone. And they had, you know, a squad of soldiers that knew that if they fell asleep on, on, on uh, guard duty, they would be put to death. So these guys, don't, don't fall asleep. Roman soldiers, they're criminals to the same degree. So they made sure that no one could steal the body. But on Easter Sunday, guard was gone. Stone was rolled away, and they didn't give him a tomb. Okay, when he was put in the tomb, they wrapped him in burial clothes, and they basically glue these to his body with spices and myrrh to um, to help preserve it. And they and they uh, open when that door was open, the burial clothes were still there. wasn't just moved out of the way. It was long ago buried. Now, this makes it hard to believe that anyone stole the body. Because if you, if you move the stone, you're going to move it enough to get in. If you're going to seal the body, you're, you're not going to leave the burial clothes behind because they're stuck. They're stuck there on the body. So how did that happen? other than the, the miracle of the, of the resurrection. And then the other thing that's really important is that the disciples' lives changed. They were scared to death before, but they became bold witnesses afterward. Now, we know that there are a lot of people who will die for a lie, or die for a lie, yeah, that it's a lie that they think is true. If they were involved in a, some kind of conspiracy to steal the body and make their coat for the resurrection, and they died for that testimony, they were dying for a lie that they knew to be a lie. And nobody does that. Nobody does that. So no, no one dies thinking they're a hoax. Now, some people say today I, that uh, Jesus, I, I've heard two people say this. Jesus hypnotized an imposter to take his place as the Messiah. Now, now what's wrong with that? Um, Number one, his mother was there at the cross. She spoke to him. Okay? If it wasn't her son, I think she would know. And then another thing is, Jesus is a very public figure. He was almost never alone. When would he have pulled off this trick? And why would 
Judas have identified the wrong man, you know, in at that time. It's just it's just uh, hard to hard to conceive. So I came to the conclusion that it really happened. It really happened, and honestly, I, I and I said, well, what am I going to do with this? And in my case, I felt like I was competing with Judas. Lord, you win. You rule it. You're God. That was the beginning of the change. I was actually a reasonably unhappy new believer. Just not what I thought. I thought I thought things were going to uh, be be awful at that point. I, I didn't see upside. Um, but what I didn't know was that the whole other part of what Jesus taught was true. And it took me a while to come to grips with this and believe it. I got to the point where I actually liked being around Christians. I, I found that I had, uh, I really did have an abundant life. Uh, I have, I have done things that I never imagined that I would, certainly I never would imagine I could do, but uh, th- that was. But I had another problem. Was even though I believe Jesus was. God himself, I had to also come to grips to accept Paul's writings. And in something like the Romans wrote, right, where they kept saying, okay, you know, they're going to 3.23 and Romans 6.23, and there's seven places, seven places. That kind of thing was really galling. I thought, really, you have to have to do that? Isn't there just one one passage that just says it all, you know, and that's why what Joe, the text that Joe preached last week was so important. From Romans 3.23 through the end of this chapter, it's all together. It's all in one place. And uh, without that, people could take things out of context. I could preach a sermon. I could say, you know, pick one verse and say, Ju- uh, Judas hanged himself, and then pick another verse and say, therefore, go and do likewise. Or, or, or I could tell you that the Bible says there is no God. You know that? The Bible says there is no God. In Psalm 14, oh, that's the whole verse that the fool says in his heart there is no God. But still, you take things out of context, you can get it wrong. But in Romans 3.21 through 24, we see something that is kind of the, the turning point for us right away, the, uh, the flip, okay, flip the script in Romans, where we see that everyone who stands on their own merit before God None of us keep it. Okay, so we have in Romans uh, 3.23, we find that the righteousness of God through faith is apart from the law. But now, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Boom. Ooh, all hail. And I'm like, wow. This is this is great stuff. Th- this is what I've been what I've been searching for. I, it's not all this Bible hot stuff stuff. Paul says it all. Everything that you need to know is right there in those verses. And that was so amazing. And I, I, I just latched onto that. In fact, I would I would recommend to everyone take that text, highlight it with your your yellow highlight marker or, or whatever, and read it every day for yourself. Make sure that you know where to find that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, because it is so powerful. It is what I'll say the legal basis for our for our faith. But it's the big deal. The whole enchilada, the, the whole magilla, the top dog, it's it's everything. But this is something that sounds foolish. Paul used the word which we translate gospel. He used the word evangelium, okay, which was actually a word that was from the marketplace of his day. And evangelium means news that's so good it's almost impossible to believe. It's like the Giants beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Okay? That, uh, sorry for Patriots fans, but that news is so impossibly good. It, if you just told somebody on the street that that happened, they would think, no, no, that's not, that's not, that's not it. And that, but that's what the gospel is. It's news that's impossibly hard to believe. And in fact, if you, if you just explain this to someone for the first time, tell them that what what Jesus did covers everything their their reaction is no that's silly you know that that's 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 not possible that's not possible but it says we receive this gift of God's own of God's own blood sacrifice as a substitute for our evil deeds by faith then we are justified we become righteous by faith whatever that means okay so what is faith? And I would just tell you that all of you, okay, all of you are exercising faith right now. Why? You, faith has an object. You looked at that chair and you said, it can hold me up. And then you sat. If that chair couldn't hold you up, you would have ended up on the floor. So you had faith. So your belief and the object of your faith, the chair, work together to do what? To give you rest. And that's that's the way it works for us too. We we put our trust in an object. That object is the Lord Jesus, and together that is what provides for our salvation. Now, this sounds great. Too good to be true, great, but it sounds great. And because something that sounds too good to be true usually is, Paul decided that we need to have some practical examples of this, which now actually 
Up till now, we haven't said anything to talk about Romans 4. This is all just setup, Romans 4. Here we are, Romans 4. Um, he gives us the example of Abraham. And what we find by looking at Abraham's example is that salvation by grace through faith, well, it's not just some sort of ad hoc thing that the Lord came up to, you know, fix the Old Testament covenant of law, but no, it was the plan all along. It was the plan all along. Abraham is a central figure of the Bible, central figure of Judaism, central figure of Christianity, central figure of Islam, but uh, and did you know in the, in the New Testament he's mentioned more than 70 times? He's mentioned more frequently than the Holy Spirit. This is how important Abraham is. But, um, and there's 10 chapters in Genesis, Genesis that uh, deals with him. He gets a lot of ink. He's a big deal. And, you know, as they say in Canada, he's a big deal, eh? You know, but uh, my wife grew up in Canada. She, she knows that. So Abraham is an example of a man who is righteous, righteous in God's eyes. Okay? The Lord treated him as someone who was righteous. Okay? Even, even when Abraham was in the wrong, okay, the Lord was on his side. You're my guy, you're righteous, and that righteousness was was unaffected by what he happened to be doing at the moment. He did not. He had some moments which weren't exactly stellar, but it didn't matter. The Lord was on his side. So the question arises: What accounts for this? Because if it, when you look at the life of Abraham and you see how the Lord treated him, you, a reasonable reaction ought to be: How do I get me something? I want to. I want to be. I, I want to be that guy. I mean, it, it, they, I'm not going to talk about this too much, but it says that, uh, you know, it, he, he re- at one point in his life, he rescued his son Lot, who had been carried away by an invading army. And it said he mustered the men of fighting age who had been born in his household, okay, and he came up with like 318 men. How big was that household? You know, these were the only, you know, those politicians, fighting age, born in his household. He probably had a thousand people in his house. Imagine the cattle that it took and, and livestock it took to feed all those people. He was unbelievably wealthy. But he was, but what does it say about Abraham? What shall we say then of Abraham? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, very important. It was faith, not works. Let's break this down. Abraham believed God. This statement is clear about the object of Abraham's belief. He believed the Lord himself. Most of you, so he, it says, though, that he believed God, but it's a little bit ambiguous, right? Well, how much faith is there? A lot of us find ourselves like, 
the man who said to Jesus, uh, he said, all things are possible to him that believes. And uh, he, the man wanted Jesus to heal his son. He says, uh, I, I believe, but help, help my unbelief. And, and we're all a little bit like that. So how much faith did Abraham have? And, it, and we know that his faith grew over time. But at this moment in time, if you look at the exact wording in the Hebrew, it says, Abraham, amen, God. He amen, God. So when God gave him this promise, we can, we can rightfully think, Abraham said, amen, amen. Let that be true to me. So, and that may, be, that may be all it was. It doesn't say that Abraham said anything more than that. It just said Abraham believed God. So, possibly his faith started small and grew larger over time. The Lord promised him a nation. He was married to a barren woman. They were 75 when they left uh, his home in, in what is modern-day Turkey to come to Canaan. And... Uh, he brought his uh, nephew along. I'm sure he thought originally that his nephew was going to be the, the from the person from whom this nation would spring, but it wasn't. Then uh, at 85, they, they, he had enough faith to believe that an old man like him could have children. And he, he he listened to his wife and and she said he said yes sir and and the, the he had children with the, the servant Hagar. Um, and then later, uh, 14 years later, he had what you might call a, a rolling on the floor laughing kind of faith, right? Because the Lord said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to you in a year, and you are going to have a son, and he's going to come from Sarah's womb. And, and, and Abraham, it says, he was, he was laughing on the floor. He, he, thought, he, he thought this was hilarious. And the Lord had to, had to you know, remind him, because you, you understand you're talking to the Almighty here. That's the first time the word Almighty is used in the, in the Bible. And maybe, maybe he stopped laughing a little bit, but, but the Lord told him what the child was going to be named then, right? Isaac, which is Hebrew for laughter, right? Isaac, you're going to name the kid Isaac because, well, maybe so. The second half of the statement, Abraham believed God, credit as righteousness, is in my mind, that's the really amazing part here. Okay, what, do, what, what has one thing to do with another? Right? What has one thing to do with another? The thing that Abraham believed was that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. That's what the Lord told him. That's what he believed. And he said, Amen to Credited that as righteousness. Now maybe it, maybe it's just me, but this, this part seems to come right out of the blue. Like so many sta amazing statements in the Bible, though, it's done in kind of a matter matter of fact manner, without explanation or fanfare. A lot of people like to act like Abraham earned this somehow. His good deed outweighed his sin. Not so. Not so. The language is clear. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted. As a gift, but his due. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
perception counts. Simply, by this verb, counted, or credited, or reckoned, whatever, it means that it wasn't earned. It was a gift. In other words, the Lord was so pleased with Abraham that he believed him. He decided to bestow upon him this gift of righteousness. And look at, uh, look at this uh, last second part of the statement. It says, it says, but believed in him who justifies the blank. The blank. Would, you, would anyone here fill in that blank with the ungodly? He justifies the ungodly. A lot of us like to think, well, am I good enough? See, if you happen to be ungodly, which, oh, by the way, everybody here, me too, um, you're qualified. You're qualified. You, you are ju- you're uh, free to be justified by God. And therefore, we are, are also qualified to have our faith counted as righteousness. Now, we know that this need to be righteous in God's eyes is not you know, lost on other people in history. David, the man after God's own heart, he said this. He said, uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. David doesn't say, blessed is the man whose good deeds outweigh his bad deeds. No, he says, blessed is the man who is forgiven. David is a man who believed the Lord. He knew if he was judged on the basis of his worst act, and he had his worst act, he was deserving of damnation. But he knew that the Lord, he needed the Lord not to count his sin. When I first came to faith, I had many misconceptions. One of them was that um, after I came to faith, I, I would I'd have to walk the straight and narrow. I, I thought people lost their free will, actually, when, when they became believers. And uh, the truth of the matter is, actually never stop sinning because this will be with you your whole life you that's the way you are but since i came to understand the plain meaning of the phrase he justifies the ungodly i realized that since it was ungodly people that qualified i was never going to be unqualified so i was good grace not law now we're going to read this passage is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Well, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, you have just heard the word circumcised more times than you have in the last month. It's a lot. They make a big deal about this. And it's... If you, if you ever have Jewish friends, okay, it is a big deal. That's, if, if a Jewish boy does one thing right his whole life, it's he was circumcised. Once, once that happens, you're in the club and you're always in the club. There's no, way, there's no getting out. And so 
they, they felt like that this was the bare minimum of obedience that a person could have. That's, in the broader sense, that was the bare minimum of obedience. But Paul makes a point. Abraham was declared righteous 14 years before this sign, and it was a sign, a sign of circumcision was given to him, yet given to him. He was already righteous. He didn't earn it by by this act. And whether you are or are not here, it doesn't matter. So it had nothing to do with it. Now, why do they still do it? And I think that was meant to be a reminder for all generations of Isaac's miracle birth. That was that was the sign that the Lord gave him. Literally, he threw away flesh, and by a miracle, a sign, he threw away the flesh. And but it also is something that's it's, you know, of course, irreversible, unmistakable mark of the Hebrew nation. And I think it came in handy. I'm certain that uh, that's how Pharaoh's daughter knew that the boy in the river was Hebrew. She knew. And I think also that's ultimately how Joseph proved to his brothers who he was, because they, they didn't recognize him. He said, Joseph told them to come close, and then they and then they recognized him. So, that's what, yes, that's right. I think it's a little bit funny, but I think that's what happened. Okay. Um, why is this important? It's important because that son from the miracle birth was going to be set on an altar made of wood as he carried up Mount Zion, only to be saved as a substitution by a ram whose head was caught in a thicket of thorns. Okay? Look at all those pictures. When you see when you see Abraham with the with the fire, the father with the son carrying the wood on his back, just like Jesus carried the wood of the cross on his back, and coming to the place of his execution. Isaac was a willing partner in this. He was a teenager. Dad was over 100 years old. There was He could get away if he wanted to. And yet, it's all there. The crown of thorns is there on the, on the ram. God gave us all these pictures so we wouldn't miss it when it actually happened. Now, was, was this what made him righteous? No. It's what he did because he was a believer. He it was it was his faith first. It was faith that certainly grew, but it was that wasn't an act that made him righteous. He's really a transcendent figure in the in this drama of human, human history. Most certainly he grew up in the pagan world. Abraham, think about this. He was a, a pagan with p- potential. You know, the, the Lord, Lord saw him that way. And, and somehow he had an encounter with the living God, and he became the father of those in the family who get there by bloodline and those that get there by faith. The Lord told him that he would have children as numerous as the sands of the sea, children of the earth, right? Jewish nation. And he told him that he would have children as numerous as the stars of the sky, children of spiritual birth, like us. 
but nonetheless, he he never he never was uh, saved by his reckoning of the law. He lived for hundreds of years before the law. Now, we Christians have a lot of our own rituals. We baptize new believers. It's a good thing. We take communion. It's a good thing. Some denominations formalize confession. Okay. And some preaching goes too far and says one or one of these things might be necessary for salvation. And in dealing with this example, later in the book of Galatians, Paul says all this thinking is wrong. There is no such thing as Christ plus when it comes to salvation. Salvation is not Christ plus circumcision. Salvation is not Christ plus the law. Salvation is is not formalized confession. Christ plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Okay, divine power, not human effort. For the promise to Abraham that his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And for if the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law where there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares by faith, of Abraham, who is father of us all. Heir of the world. Sounds pretty good. Is this material wealth? If you compare Abraham, you might think so. But he was, what we talked about, he was a man of great material wealth. But he was so wealthy that he knew it didn't matter. After he had rescued Lot, the Lord came to him at night and says, I am your shield. I will protect you. Abraham was up at night. He was up that, we don't know why, but he was up that night. And and I love the way Abram uh, talks to God. He goes, now what's the use? When I die, it's all going to go to my servant Eliezer of Damascus. I have no offspring. What's the use? And that's when he was hopeless, the Lord made that promise that his his, uh, ser- his uh, offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, the Lord honors frank conversations, but you might think believing in the stars of the sky is not the belief that saves you. But when you consider that he was willing to take Isaac up to the mountain, sacrifice Isaac, the son that the Lord said that his line would go through. He didn't say there was anybody else. He said, your line is going through Isaac. He believed in Isaac's resurrection. And so we know that Abraham ultimately believed in in the resurrection. Okay. So what is this to be the heir of the world? We know ultimately Abraham seed Jesus, the Messiah, was the ultimate heir of the world. And at the Great Commission, he said, All authorities in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, we as Abraham's spiritual offspring have become the heirs ourselves. We are joint heirs with Christ. Yes, we have an expectation of an inheritance. And with Abraham, we will inherit the world to come. And then finally, Paul concludes the chapter. Aren't you glad to hear that word, conclude? Um, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed 
until he became the father of many nations. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words were declared to him, not written for him alone, but also for us. He was delivered over to death for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. There you have it. Paul said, the basis of our faith at the end of Romans 3, he gives us a case study of a man who is an example of someone righteous by faith in Romans 3. And it may simply have been as small as uttering amen to the Lord's promise. And that's how it begins with all of us. We're like the man who said to Jesus, I believe. Help with my unbelief. Our belief in the Lord begins small, and so our initial belief is probably a lot smaller than our unbelief. But over time, as our relationship with the Lord reveals him little by little, our faith grows. My faith grows. And keep in mind, more than 35 years were between the year, the time that Abraham expressed his faith in God's promise and the, and the moment where he provided that amazing example of faith. Abraham had a lifetime of living and walking with the Lord to, to grow his faith. I can tell you in my case, my faith is quite different today than it was when I first believed. I, but I sure didn't believe, I believed Christ rose from the dead, but I didn't believe that following Christ would lead to an abundant life. I thought, surely that was not going to be my abundant life. But one last thought, what does it mean he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Well, what it does mean is we know that he went, went to hell. And we know when he came back that it was fully paid. Fully paid. And, and we know also that the simplicity and imp impotence um, satisfied. We know that he's overpaid like to invite anyone here who's never made this decision to hear these words. If you profess with your mouth, Jesus